CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to The Breakdown with me, NLW. It's a daily podcast on macro, Bitcoin, and the big picture power shifts remaking our world. The Breakdown is sponsored by Nexo.io, NIR, and FTX, and produced and distributed by Coindesk. What's going on, guys? It is Sunday, June 12th, and today we continue our series of interviews recorded during Consensus. This was recorded at the Coindesk Podcast Studio, which is presented by Oak Network. A big thanks again to Oak for their support. Before we get into this interview, however, if you are enjoying The Breakdown, please go subscribe to it, give it a rating, give it a review, or if you want to dive deeper into the conversation, come join us in The Breakers Discord. You can find a link in the show notes or go to bit.ly slash breakdownpod. Lastly, a disclosure as always, in addition to them being a sponsor of the show, I also work with FTX. My guest today is Matthew Nazareth, the CEO of The Sandbox, which is one of the leading metaverse platforms today. Matthew is a serial entrepreneur with deep roots in the gaming space, which colors his take on the metaverse in some interesting ways. We talked today about how the metaverse does or doesn't align with the larger crypto market cycle, what it needs to improve, and what the key catalyst for growth will be. Without any further ado, let's dive in. All right, Matthew, welcome to The Breakdown. How are you, sir? Hey, hi. Super happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, uh, thank you for taking some time out of what's, I'm sure, a busy consensus. So I wanted to start with kind of just a little bit of history for people who are, you know, maybe know the sandbox, but don't know kind of its origin story. It has kind of a long history. So I'd love if you could kind of give us a little bit of background and how it kind of transitioned into the form that it finds itself today. Yeah, the sandbox is an overnight success that took actually 10 years in the making. <laughs> and we started in 2011, 2012 by making a mobile game called the sandbox. Then the company was sold to Alimoka in 2018. And after the sale, we did a spin-off of the company into the new Sandbox in 2018. And this is when you know we started what is today known as the Sandbox, the blockchain game that we know of. So a long, very long time. And we started at the very bottom of the crypto winter in 2018. Crypto gaming wasn't even a thing at the time. And the good thing is that uh, now we've been working on this for the past four years, and we have a massive head start against a lot of other metaverse being built as we speak. So uh, how would you describe uh, kind of the sandbox today? You know, how do you guys visualize what it actually is? So the sandbox is this virtual space, uh, avatar driven. It's a social space. You just, you know, log in and you can wander around, you know, uh, with your avatar, you can make friends, you can play games. It looks a little bit like Minecraft, if you will, build on the blockchain. If you want to visualize it, what it looks like, we have this voxel look and feel 
But as time goes by, we realize we're more than gaming. We're opening new types of experiences that, that players and users can do. So we're doing entertainment. Uh, we're doing digital fashion. And eventually, we are going even further, and we're going to do shopping. We're going to do... I think eventually, even people are going to be working in the sandbox. So, you know, I think everything you see in the real life, eventually, you'll have some kind of version of it inside the sandbox. Not right now, but I think it's going to happen. Okay, so 2018, you guys start building, kind of spin out and do this new version. 2019, we're still in the depths of crypto winter. 2020, obviously, COVID hits, the world shuts down. Crypto starts to show signs of life. Uh, you know, you have DeFi summer, and then all of a sudden, top shots and NFTs start to become a thing. When did you guys, kind of along that path, as we started to get into the bull market, start to see some really different things starting to happen, either within the sandbox or also just around it in terms of NFTs? What, you know, kind of when did you know that there was something different starting to go on? I think that was about a year ago, uh, and maybe last summer, when things all of a sudden started to really come together. And we launched our, the very first season of the game, actually, in November last year. And we saw for the first time we had real users, real traction, real money you know, being spent in the game. Also in 2021 is when we sold a lot of you know, virtual lands. We are virtual-based metaverse, and the numbers were going through the roof. And we knew at the time, yes, we're into something very, very big. Let's double down. How did the connection with Snoop come together? Because obviously he's been a huge advocate of the platform. Uh, it's just, you know, through introduction, meetings in Los Angeles. And uh, you're right, Snoop is very much into the crypto space. And our ambition is really also to bring culture into the metaverse. And music is a very big part of culture. So we hit it off very, very quickly. And uh, he's been a tremendous partner since then. He even released a song specifically about the sandbox in his latest uh, album. Uh, his latest music video is done with the sandbox. So he loves us and, and we love him. That's great. So obviously, you know, we're kind of coming off of peak highs, at least in terms of prices in crypto. How are you seeing, if at all, kind of behaviors change or interests change or what people want to do in the space change? You know, what does it look like today versus, you know, six months ago, maybe? We are not seeing any changes at all as far as the sandbox is concerned. We're still working very, very hard to improve the products, launching more content, attracting more users. And I think, you know, it's not the first downturn market. It's not the last. And, uh, you know, uh, business as usual for us. Do you think it's a little bit different for you guys because you're an ecosystem based on experiences versus just based on whether a token price goes up or down? Exactly. And also, I think we are uh, at heart with a gaming company. And I think gaming companies are less impacted by macroeconomic environment like the war in Ukraine, how, you know, inflation, interest rates, maybe recession coming. So... I think we're good. Yeah, I think you could almost argue that gaming companies are, it's like alcohol companies or something, it's like counter-cyclical, right? Where it's like, there's this sort of different kind of space and need. I guess even within that, though, you know, for kind of the broader crypto industry, bear markets are always a time to reflect on, you know, what needs to get built, what needs to get done. What do you think is important in terms of metaverse infrastructure, either for you guys or just kind of, a, you know, the surrounding world of NFTs and metaverse? I think the most important thing for us is to make the crypto industry in general and the sandbox in particular more accessible, easier. The onboarding is there's too much friction for everybody, to be honest, today. So I think collectively we have to do a better job at making it easier for ordinary people to really, you know, use crypto and play in the sandbox and go on other metaverse as well. That's our priority, number one. 
How do you see sort of the metaverse space evolving? You know, is it the type of thing where network effects means there's a small handful of winners? Is it the future of interoperability with lots of different kind of metaverses that you can connect? You know, how do you guys think about that? I think we're going to have a small number of generalist metaverse that covers a lot of different experiences. And the reason we're not going to have millions or even hundreds of thousands is because just purely from a, a technical perspective, from an inf infrastructure perspective, building a metaverse is a very, very big and ambitious project. It's not like a small team which can do that. We are, you know, 300 in the company today are growing fast, and we still have a very, very ambitious roadmap for the next two years. So building a metaverse is really not for the faint of heart. It's really big. That being said, I think we can see a lot of maybe small niche metaverse eventually and we're also very big believers in being interoperable between metaverse and actually that's one thing that really differentiates web3 project from web2 project is that it's not a zero-sum game in you know i was doing mobile game before and in, in mobile gaming we're always trying to steal all gamers from other gaming companies we're buying advertising in, in other in our competitors game to try to lure people into our game web3 i think is different because it's being interoperable create more value for everybody including our competitors, but including for us as well. And I see that as a main difference between Web 2 and Web 3. It's interesting. I completely agree. I think part of that is the ethos of the people who are building. But I also think part of it is sort of a rational sense of like the economics of user attention where you know where it seems like users don't want to be captured and locked into an ecosystem that's kind of the whole idea right so you sort of have this new design constraint where it's what you expect users to want and so that's what you're trying to build yeah and i think people are fed up with big tech and uh, i mean if we're not careful i mean it's possible like one big tech company might own the metaverse and i hope it's not going to happen i don't want to be living this dystopian nightmare and maybe could be a very big company like Meta, for example. And I hope not. And that's why I think as an industry, we have to really work hard to work together, bring value to users and being interoperable and really create something unique. And I think all will be good. Nexo lets you easily buy crypto with your bank card and earn industry-leading interest rates. Earn up to 16% on crypto and up to 12% on stablecoins. Nexo makes passive income easy with interest paid automatically and daily. With Nexo, you can also borrow against your crypto at 0% APR and exchange over 300 pairs. Receive a welcome bonus of up to $150 in Bitcoin until June 30th at nexo.io. That's nexo.io. This episode is brought to you by NIR, a climate-neutral, high-speed, and low-transaction-fee Layer 1 blockchain platform. NIR is a blockchain for a world reimagined. Through simple, secure, and scalable technology, NIR empowers millions to invent and explore new experiences. Business creativity and community are being reimagined for a more sustainable and inclusive future. Reimagine your world today at NIR.org. The Breakdown is sponsored by FTX US. FTX US is the safe, regulated way to buy and sell Bitcoin and other digital assets with up to 85% lower fees than competitors. There are no fixed minimum fees, no ACH transaction fees, and no withdrawal fees. One of the largest exchanges in the US, FTX US is also the only leading exchange that supports both Ethereum and Solana NFTs. When you trade NFTs on FTX, you pay no gas fees. Download the FTX app today and use referral code BREAKDOWN to support the show. 
I do think that Facebook slash Meta did the Web3 and Metaverse space a favor by perfectly articulating what a metaverse that owns by Facebook would actually look like. I mean, it's crazy to me how little they tried to conceal the webtoonness of their approach in terms of like the take rates from creators, in terms of like the fake NFTs and you know, all of like there's just glaringly bald, like don't care. They're betting on, you know, I don't know what they're betting on, consumer lock-in already from their platform, like, you know, but it's crazy to me. I think, you know, it's not that they don't care. They can't do anything else. I mean, the company, and that's a problem with most Web2 companies, even if they want to move to Web3, I think they are so entrenched in processes, culture, the people working there, and their business model. They just can't really change the Web2 engine and replace it with a Web2 engine overnight, especially publicly traded company. And they're selling, you know, advertising or they're selling data. Their tech rate is very big. Our tech rate at the Sandbox is only 5%. It's very small. We don't sell data. We don't sell advertising. We're only focusing on trying to provide the best platform for creators and users. That's it. Do you think that another part of this for why Web3 companies are less competitive with each other is that there's not the same sort of zero-sum belief of competition for attention, right? So, like, you were talking about gaming companies. Gaming companies kind of see it like, you know, people game for X hours per week. We want to get those X hours, and that's all you get, versus the metaverse, where kind of the bet is that a growing and, you know, uh, complex set of human experiences are going to happen in these platforms. So it's not really sure what the total addressable market is, but it seems just so big that no one can go after it all. I mean, is that a fair characterization? Yeah, we think, you know, the TAM, as we call it, the total addressable market is in the trillions. Because as I was saying, everything you do in the real life, you'll have some form of it inside the metaverse. So it's really, really massive. And at the Sandbox, we're not trying to be the only metaverse in town. We just want to be the most exciting place, the most exciting metaverse. And that's why we're working so hard to bring, you know, brands like Gucci or artists like Snoop Dogg into the metaverse because we want to attract the best brands, the best businesses, the most exciting people. We very much compare ourselves to maybe like a city like New York or Los Angeles or London, which is a concentration of, you know, uh, exciting stuff to do. And at the same time, we're working with others. So we're working, for example, with World of Women. If you have a PFP for World of Women, you can, you know, without doing anything, if your PFP is on your MetaMask wallet, you can automatically convert that into a 3D voxel avatar for your sandbox. So, yeah, being, working with others is very important for us. And I think it creates values for us, for our creators and for the users. It's super interesting to hear you compare yourselves to cities versus other companies. I mean, is that something that's sort of like intentional and kind of widely spread across the company? Yeah, I think so. And, and also cities, you have less of a top-down approach. You have a mayor, you have some you know, people working in city hall. And, but at the end of the day, the value in cities is created by businesses, by people coming in, not by the top management. And that's really what we're trying to do. And I think it's in line with the, with the ethos of being decentralized. I love it. Super interesting analogy. I don't want to kind of bring up the competitive side of things, but are there any things that you think that the Sandbox thinks differently about than other emergent metaverse platforms? I mean, there are a handful of existing metaverse. I think the big difference between us and others is that we are deeply rooted in game as opposed to others which are a bit more focusing on purely the social experience. So for us, it's either about game or at least having a gamified experience. So we have quests and leaderboard and challenges. And uh, I'd rather be, you know, Minecraft rather than Second Life, basically, at the end of the day. So this is really the big difference between us and others is the root in gaming and 10 years of gaming experiences. 
do you think that that's going to be a big part of onboarding the next set of users is that they're coming for a game type experience versus having to preemptively know that they just want to hang out in some virtual world? Yeah, you know, come for the game and stay for the play to one rewards and stay for building a community, meet friends, you know, uh, or live even beyond gaming experiences. You know, for example, we are going to do a concert with Snoop Dogg soon in, in the metaverse. And, and also it's not up to us, uh, not to the company to decide what kind of experiences they can live. It's going to be up to the creators. And I think we're going to be blown away by what they will come up with. Is there anything that worries you in terms of sort of like the next phase of Web3 or Metaverse building? Anything that, you know, could derail these, this set of experiments? I think we need more diversity inside crypto. It's a lot of white dudes, to be honest. And we have the more people we bring in, the better. And it, it has to do with also making it easier for people to be onboarded. It's still too difficult. You have to go to Coinbase, wait seven days, buy something, install a you know, MetaMask Chrome extension, send it the 12 seeds for it. It's still a bit too difficult. So it really worries me that we're not going fast enough in making it way easier for ordinary people to use crypto in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen, also, if, going back to that, sort of this metaphor of the city, what makes cities have the palpable energy that they have is that they are just, they're collision factories for heterogeneous people and heterogeneous experiences where there's sort of this great meld that happens, you know, and that's what makes the magic. So I think it makes sense that, it, you know, as you're thinking about the metaverse and you want to have a place for culture and all these things, like that comes from lots of different types of people butting up against one another. Yeah, and lots of different businesses right now. The most active types of businesses in the metaverse are uh, fashion and you know luxury companies surprisingly and, and Gucci's and many others entertainment art with NFTs and gaming and I think those type of companies they are very early because they usually have a good sense of the new trends they are very accustomed to you know understanding where the trends are going but eventually I think we are seeing interest from all types of businesses all types of people so I think it's this melting pot of different background that's going to make the metaverse and the sandbox a, a very valuable place. Do you have any predictions for how the next, call it, six to 12 months play out or develop as it relates to the metaverse? I don't know if we're going to see a lot of competitors coming because I know a lot of people are raising money for building metaverse. Uh, if you raise money now, if you raise money six months ago, I think it's going to be at least three or four years until you have a very good and polished product. It's really that long. So I see you'll see us, you know, hopefully still be the leading metaverse. And we are working hard to bring in more features, more content. I'm very excited to see what the other side is going to do. You know, we also, it's almost like a cousin company. We have the same shareholder. Animoca is invested in, in their round and Animoca owns the sandbox. So we're super excited to see what they're doing and we're looking forward to working with them. Awesome. Well, listen, it's been so good talking. I think it's obviously such a fascinating frontier space. I uh, appreciate you taking the time to share your thoughts on it. Thank you for having me. One of the things that I loved about that discussion is this notion of the metaverse as analogous to a city. I think many, me included, would look to social networks or games as the proxies for Web3 or the metaverse. But given that we're talking here about literal virtual space, looking at real-world geographic and social environments as a model makes tons of sense to me. Thinking about it this way creates a totally new set of pathways and priorities one might consider when designing metaverses. Now, of course, the analogy isn't perfect if only in that you have to live somewhere, and you don't have to live in the metaverse. But still, I think it's a really interesting and potentially profitable area to explore from, so I'm really glad Matthew brought up that framework and shared it today. 
I want to say thanks again to my sponsors, Nexo.io, Near, and FTX. And thanks to you guys for listening. Until tomorrow, be safe and take care of each other. Peace.